Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. I'm Caroline Stanbury, star of The Real Housewives of Dubai. I'm remarried and living my best life ever. See, there's so much life after divorce. I'm starting my new chapter unapologetically. I'm bringing real stories, real life, real talk on all things that aren't said between each other, society, the sheets, and everything in the middle. And lucky me, you'll be joining me on the journey. Listen to all new episodes every Wednesday. So buckle up. So welcome back to another episode of Divorce Not Dead. And I am joined today by Jennifer Lee, who I'm very excited to talk to because I think all women need to hear this. But Jennifer has over 27 years of expertise in the financial service industry and works with many women in transitions such as divorce, retirement, business transitions, and inheritance. And I actually think this is fascinating because it's absolutely true because if you've been married as long as I was, and a lot of women have been, the men tend to take care of all the money. Even though I was massively independent and ran a business and did everything like that, and I never really had to pay the bills or you know, understand um, the ins and outs or how to invest myself, I suppose. I always thought his money was our money and my money was you know, my money to go shopping with. So welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here with you. So how do you find your clients? Like, So how did you get into this? Because I think it's so needed. Sure. It's, it's interesting. It was really a natural progression for me. I've been doing this a long time. And when I moved to Florida, I really had to look at who I wanted to have as my clients and who I could help the most. And it happened to be women going through transition. So, and I found that they're a lot of what we call an ostrich. So this is the non-moneyed party. This is the party that may be certainly brilliant on their own right, but not interested. They just don't have the aptitude or the interest for dealing with retirement or finance or cash flow or any of those things. It just bores them to tears. So, um, but you really need to know it. So that's really where I focus, particularly in going through divorce, to make sure you have your ducks in a row and you're not going to leave any money on the table. And I think it's important because, you know, it, as you said, not only divorce, it's inherent, you know, people get money all different types of ways, right? Lots of people inherit. You hear all these stories about people that inherit and then lose it or, you know, there are just so many hidden costs. There are so many pitfalls that you're not, you know, you don't understand. It is sort of scary. Even uh, me now as a divorced woman, I obviously want to protect anything that I have for my children or, you know, I don't want to spend too much. I'm scared of like, debt in any way. And I mean, like I count a mortgage as debt, but you know, most people, I mean, obviously it's debt, but most, most people have a mortgage. 
And then you see all these people that saying that you should have a mortgage and make your money work for you while while you sleep kind of thing. So what's your belief? Exactly. So there's there's a I mean, not everybody can afford to not have a mortgage. So for practical purposes, many, many people have to have some sort of debt. So you want to have thoughtful debt. You want to have productive debt. You don't want to use credit cards to go shopping unless you're going to pay them off every month. So you want to understand what your money, how much money you have, what your cash flow is. And that bores people again, because they hear the word budget and they hear limit. I look at budget and cash flow as just perspective. So if you understand what money you have coming in and what your fixed expenses are, your mortgage, taking care of your kids, cost of living, those things, then you have this extra money at the bottom of that calculation and that's at your discretion. So you get to choose. Are you paying extra down on your mortgage? Are you going on a trip? Are you going shopping? Do you have a a coffee fetish? Whatever it may be, you get to choose that. So I believe that it's just having a mindset of knowledge that you can't unknow what your money is. Do you have like advice for people? You know, I mean, rather than putting it in the bank, do you say, you know, real estate? Do you help people make wise financial business decisions? Is that is that kind of the same thing? Or you just let people know exactly where they stand? That's an excellent question. It's a it's a delicate balance. It depends on who the person is and what their net worth is. The net worth of somebody who has $5 million and their scenario is much different than somebody who has a $2 million net worth. Right? So you have to, it's still basics and fundamentals, understanding what your cash flow resources are. I've got a, a good friend who is, you know, he probably has, I don't know, $400 million net worth, something to that effect. And he doesn't understand his cash flow. So he, he frets about a $20,000 trip, but I'm saying, okay, we need to have perspective here. That's irrelevant to you. It, it doesn't matter. So the process is the same, understanding what your resources are, and then how to deploy them and have your money be used as a tool for what it is that you want. Um, it doesn't matter to me what it is you want. I'm here to try to make your resources work as efficiently as possible to get you there. But you see people that sort of go, you know, when you see people put money down and rental income, say, right? People that say, okay, you want to have your money work for you. So why don't you put um, your money into property and then rent them out. But at that point, when you're thinking about it, you still have a mortgage to pay, right? You have to make sure that the the house is always rented. And if things go wrong, you need the money to fix it. So it's not as simple as that. And, and I think that the messaging is so easy, especially with Instagram and all these people that are out there advising people. You've got somebody in front of you that maybe you haven't even chosen, right? But you're just flicking through Instagram and you see all these things and, and it may, they make it look so easy. I mean, is it that easy to, to do these things or no, you're shaking it, your head? It most definitely is not. It, um, you know, the, the age of um, HGTV and all these um, house flipping and all these opportunities, it sounds wonderful and it looks like so much fun. And, um, and it can be done and it can be profitable. But you really have to look at the practicality. What is your actual, and uh, again, this gets into the details of it, what is your return on investment? It's just not about buying a property, renovating it, doing a wonderful kitchen, and having this presumed income and this cash flow. 
your cash flow has to exceed all of your costs and your expenses after you're done. And most people don't think through all of those different pieces because it's not exciting. It's it's a little bit boring and it's kind of disappointing when you when you think it about it and you break it down, does it really make practical sense? And a lot of people going through divorce will say, you know, okay, well, we have three properties and I really want this one. Well, we have to talk about, does that make sense? Well, that's the vacation home and you can't really live there. So can you afford to have the vacation home and live your life elsewhere with your children and so on? So it's really about putting the the pencil to the numbers. And that's what I do. And then kind of talk to the client about what it is they really want in lifestyle. And can we make that happen? And so what, what is your sort of mantra for women? Like, what is your, the thing that you would suggest the most when someone comes to you, like you completely rechange their way of thinking and their, their, their lifestyle to fit financially what they have. And, you know, if somebody is a little bit tighter, do you suggest they invest or you suggest they hold on to every penny? You know, every situation, I, I, I hate to say that every situation is different, but it is. And it, it depends on that person, their energy toward accumulating additional assets or, or pivoting in their life to, to make more money. I'm somebody who, if I want something and I can't afford it, I'm going to figure out a way to make it happen. I'm not going to just resolve to, oh, I can't afford it. I can't do it. I'm going to figure out a solution as to how I can accomplish that and get that. Not everybody is an entrepreneur. Not everybody is a self-starter. Not everybody is motivated. And coming out of divorce, a lot of people are in a bit of a, a funk and a little depressed. So you have to get your mindset right be clear about your money and maybe not make a colossal mistake out of the gate. So I hate to say it depends. Some people, I mean, well, divorce is obviously, it's a difficult one because, you know, a lot of people get, get an asset, a big, you know, will get a house or something like this, and then they can't afford the upkeep or, you know, going forward. And I think when someone, a lot of women get married at the age of 20 something and end up getting divorced around 40, which is, you know, most of the working years. I've always worked, so I always knew how to make money, but a lot of women are very scared to venture out into that. They've always let the men take the decisions, which has left them completely sort of paralyzed. And even if you do get a nice settlement or whatever else, it normally runs out till the children are 18. So then you've got the, you know, the rest of your life and not the best half of it normally without the money. So you know, what can you do in these situations? I mean, do people come to you like this? Do you suggest selling the house and then, you know, moving? How do you advise women to sort of get their head around reality? I, I think what's amazing is I'm, I'm dealing with a lot of people who obviously are women who are in these transitional stages and it's very stressful, but they're, they're taking on the responsibility and the, and the awareness of the things that they need to do with regard to money. So they're, they're pulling their heads out of the sand and, and really taking a real look at what their financial situation is so that they can make solid decisions. You know, sometimes it does involve selling the house, but sometimes not. I just, the most important part, as you're thinking about it, I think there's kind of an order of process. You first, you know, you want to evaluate what your what your options are, right? You want to understand legally what you're entitled to. 
And then you want to find a financial advocate who's going to help you sort through all of the resources that you and your husband have and how you might like to divide them up and what that's going to look like for you. And, and then kind of chart a path forward. So I never say the impossible is impossible. It's just a matter of let's look at the worst case scenario and then let's proactively and positively look forward as to what you can hope to achieve. I think the trouble is, I mean, a lot of women get married to sort of, you know, men that are in businesses already who feel like they've built up their own lifestyle and, you know, the woman obviously comes in, she runs the house, but they don't feel like they owe them as much as maybe the woman does. And it's a hard one for me because, you know, I also don't think that marriage should be a job, right? Where it's, it's, where it's a stepping stone to some, a better life, which is what some, some women do. I don't believe that if a man's worked his whole life, he has to give 50% away either. But then if the, the woman was there from the beginning and she helped him get there, then it's difficult. You know what I mean? It's so case by case because there are women that go in for a few years and then take everything. I think it's got better now, but the men also aren't in a position where they're actually, you know, absolutely willingly giving it over. And I've got girlfriends who wait and wait and wait thinking, you know, maybe we'll get back together and everything else. And then when another woman is involved, then it gets even harder to get something out of the man, right? So you really do want to have it clear as soon as possible, even if you're you know, not entirely sure you'll ever get back together. You need to have those conversations. You absolutely do. You have to have a plan and a strategy that you can lean on no matter what direction it's going to go. And in an ideal world, you you have some financial aptitude in your marriage, in your relationship, so that you have that independence and that ability to stand alone. So ladies, it's the worst time. And I'm like, you all know I live in Dubai and it's the worst time to suffer with an uncomfortable bra. Thankfully, Honey Love has revolutionized the bra game. Upgrade from traditional bras that use uncomfortable underwire and bulky fabrics that trap heat. Honey Love's bras feature supportive bonding that eliminates the need for underwire without sacrificing the lift. Hallelujah. Their fabrics are so soft, it literally feels like a second skin. You can immediately see and feel the difference. It's next level comfort. And I never thought I would actually say this, but you forget you're wearing them. And for a limited time, you can get Honey Love on sale and get 20% off your entire order with your exclusive link. Honeylove.com forward slash DND. Support our show and check them out honeylove.com forward slash DND. So you know that feeling like, you know, at the end of a long day, like you do with heels and you want to rip them off. That's how I feel about bras. But Honey Love, you're never going to experience that again. Their bras are beyond comfortable. You will forget you're wearing them. And I actually sleep in them. Honey Love's bestseller crossover bra is so comfortable. It can be your new go-to. This bra gives you all the support of traditional bras without using underwires plus the mesh detailing adds a touch of sexy. This is one bra that you'll actually enjoy wearing and won't want to take off. For the most relaxed lounge bra, I recommend their V-bra. It offers the support of traditional bras without the uncomfortable underwire, and it's designed to lift and separate, which is key if you're sleeping in them so that you don't get sleep lines like me. It doesn't create that uni boob effect, but it doesn't stop there. Honey love 
does more than just bras. They have incredibly comfortable shapewear, tanks, leggings, and things all for everyday support. So pair your V-bra with their breathable and versatile leggings or get the matching shapewear, whatever you need. Honey Love has you covered for the everyday look, workouts, weddings, and so much more. Honey's all you need in your life. So treat yourself to the best shapewear on the market and saves 20% off honeylove.com forward slash DND. Use your exclusive link to get 20% off honeylove.com forward slash DND. Snatched and lifted. It's a hot girl summer. Thanks to Honey Love. Now let's get back to the show. Welcome, Welcome to, to Barely, Barely Filtered, Filtered, hosted by, by us. I'm Aurora Culpo, star of the HBO Max show, The Culpo Sisters. Don't tell my sisters I said so. I'm a recently divorced mom of two living in Los Angeles with my ex-husband. I'm part granola mom, part glamorous jet setter. I'm Kristen Gaffney, also a mom, a startup nerd who modeled for Sports Illustrated Swimsuit and the founder and CEO of Super True. I always like to microdose my coffee before I hit up carpool. Welcome to Barely Filtered, our our safe space. Here, we discuss health and wellness, becoming a grown-ass woman, and what's going on in this crazy world. And while we don't agree on everything, we do agree on this. We We want want you you to live live your best best life. Let's take a little break from the show and talk about Western Hotels. With over 200 destinations around the world, Western Hotels make it possible for you to keep up with your wellness routine while traveling. This for me is a game changer. With signature offerings to help you move, eat, and sleep well, Western Hotels make a travel opportunity to enhance your well-being, not detract from it, which um, is key for someone like me who's always on the move. At Western Hotels, you can work out how you want. They have a variety of fitness options to keep your wellness routine on track while you're away. So maintain your focus in Western workout fitness studios that are equipped with state-of-the-art equipment. You can get moving on a group run by Western's Run Concierge, a running guide or buddy, which makes it so easy for you to explore the local areas. This, I think, is amazing because if you're new to an area and you're running on your own, it's easy to get lost or end up in the wrong place or, you know, it's scary. So to have a running body and a run concierge, I think, is so clever. Run like a local. There'll be three and five mile scenic run maps, which make it easy for you to find and explore the best route on foot. Or just do your own thing with the workout and recovery gear available through demand through Weston's gear lending program. Again, genius. If you're on the move and you don't want to carry all your workout gear, they'll lend it to you and you simply just give it back. Customize your workout while you go on with Hyper Ice and Bala products to borrow during your stay. Eat well also with Weston's Eat Well menu designed with foods that make sure you meet your nutritional needs. So basically, Western chefs have crafted dishes with your well-being in mind. Choose what's right for you and the desired portion size and nutritional balance. Western makes it easy for you to continue to nourish your health no matter where you are in the world. Lastly, you can recharge your body and mind with a restorative sleep in Western's renowned heavenly bed. I actually do this at home. Every single night, I put lavender balm on my pillow. It eases my tension and soothes your senses and you sort of just drift on into a gorgeous sleep. And I love that a hotel has actually thought about the little things because it really does make a difference, especially if you're on a work trip and you're stressed. It's amazing. 
At Western Hotels, there are amenities, offerings aimed to help you move well, eat well, sleep well, so you can keep your well-being close while away. Find wellness on your next stay at Western. Western Hotels is also part of Marriott Bonvoy, an extraordinary portfolio of hotel brands and an award-winning travel program. Let's get back to the show. I think Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. I think it's important to understand also what's out there for you, like insurance, like you know, I think I saw in your book, 401ks, I don't understand anything of that because I'm not American, but I know all of these things are available to people. And a lot of people won't know, know this, you know, there's so much that I had to learn afterwards for me. And now just being, you know, even just being the businesswoman and everything that I've done going forward, I've made sure that you know, I'm always taken care of in my own way and, and, and for my kids and I'm much older than my husband. So I've even, you know, made sure for all of us, if I drop dead tomorrow, it's just really important to understand the numbers. And, you know, in a way, I'll tell you the one thing Dubai's done for me, it's funny because in the Middle East, it financial institutions work differently and it's very hard to get credit. They don't have credit cards here for the first three years you're here. They're like debit cards. So whatever your credit limit is, you have to, I'm like, well, that's not a credit card. That's a debit card if you're taking the money. <laughs> so anyway, that's unless you're, you, you have to be employed in this company, this country for three years before you can have a credit card and a credit history. If you see what I mean, they build it up and they, otherwise they remove the money from your account. So I, I've, I've lived now because I, it was the first time that I haven't had a proper credit card because it's just not like that anywhere else in the world because of what happened, because of the financial crash in Dubai, you know, everyone racked up hundreds of thousands of debts or millions or whatever it is. And then they, they, they all ran off. So you, they, the banks have protected themselves now. So it's just a very different world. And actually it's not a bad one because now I can't spend what I don't have. And it's, it's teaching me. That's precisely the point. And um, in, in America, you, you have almost the opposite mindset because the credit card companies are promoting, you know, and, and the American mindset is just go get it now. I want it now. And it's not really, it's not really productive and maybe not realistic when you're going through an adjustment from two people sharing two incomes in one household to now separating out and your expenses basically double. I mean, from, from your cases, like you have, as you said, people with extreme wealth, what is the first thing if you don't have a lot of wealth that you would suggest somebody does? Like, you know, somebody that's panicking how they're going to pay the bills and they've got kids and they've got lawyers bills and they've got all of these things. You know, you're absolutely right because in America, the dream, the American dream is, and I hear it all the time, like, what debt shouldn't be scary. It's not scary. You know, take it now. And I, I feel like it's scary because I mean, how long, how many years am I going to be working? I'm, I'm 47 now. So, you know, genuinely how many years am I, can I, I've got 20 years maybe, you know, if I'm really lucky to, to work. Yeah. If I want. 
So, you know, I want to be prepared that my, my old age looks good, you know, and I don't want to be paying off debt for the rest of my life. That's for sure. But it is, I I hear it all the time. You know, I think when young people, young people don't see the end, right. They don't see the consequences. They just see, you know, that they, they're being handed what they think is free money, but it's not. Basically the whole game is to replace your income. Okay. When you, so you can stop working when you have enough wealth and enough assets that you can take income off of those assets and replace your lifestyle and your income. So, you know, you say you have 20 years left to work. If you're putting enough money aside that that bucket of money is going to kick out earnings that will replace what your current annual expenses are, then you can retire. It's it's a non-issue. But that's what people don't really think about. They want it today. They don't think about five years from now, 10 years from now, and, and certainly 25 years from now. In, in the U.S., they usually wake up after their kids are out of the house and they find themselves with more money in their pocket. And they're like, well, wait a minute. How am I going to retire? I only have 12 years left. And that's a bit of a panic as well. So I call, I call that crunch time. you got to get serious. And what do you do for, for people like that? That's actually a very good point because I think at this stage of our lives in our 40s and 50s we're so busy thinking about universities kids school what handbag your teenage daughter wants so she can fit in I've got three kids who like designer clothes like what what do you suggest to people that wake up and suddenly go you know and shit the kids empty nesters and 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 reality hits home well, you know, it's at some point, and it's very hard, certainly when you when you have your kids and like you say, your your daughter and that fitting in, that's super important. And at some point you have to get to a place where you're like, okay, I need to, it's like getting on an airplane and they tell you to put the oxygen mask on yourself first. We got to make sure that the foundation, that the parents, that the household has enough resources to continue this process on. And, and to be able to retire. So I find that a lot of people in their 50s, their kids are out of the house, they're, they're out of university, maybe hopefully they're not moving back home, but some of them are. And, you know, now they're like, okay, I got to focus on, on me and on us and how we're going to replace our income. So you're, you're just, you're socking more money away. And you're, if you're taking risks in business, then you're doing that so that you have an opportunity to have those assets grow and be able to sell a business at a later point. So you're not, you, you do the numbers, but you're not really a financial advisor in the way that you would say, you know, take, don't leave the money sat here getting whatever return it is in a bank. If you go and do it here in uh, real estate, you can get this return. You know, Carolyn, I've, I, I am a financial advisor and I do all the money part, right? Yeah. I do that, the investment allocation, your risk tolerance to be able to hold on to individual stocks or bonds and all those components. I find that most of my business starts with the psychological component of getting you to a place where you understand what you need to do for yourself and your goal and the and the mechanics of it. That's like the easy part. That's the part that I do. And then I meet with my clients and they say, I don't want to know all the details because they're the ostrich. And I say, look, we need to you need to hear me. We're going to have a meeting. We're going to talk about the different options, the risks, the pros, the cons. We're going to talk about the risks of those things. And you're going to tell me I'm comfortable with A, B, C, D, and so on. We're going to develop a plan for you. And then, you know, depending on the asset level and the client, 
every six months, every every quarter, we're again talking about this and what you have. And you may say to me, what do I have again? And I'll go through it. And then you can forget it when you leave. That's fine. And about the fourth time you come in and you say, well, what is this vehicle? I start to tell you and you say, I, I, I get it. I understand. You don't need to tell me this anymore. So it's just about getting comfortable with your with your money. But mostly it's about intention. And how much is the, the right amount or an amount that you should be squirreling away each month or year like for people to look? at the bare minimum for, you know, a retirement, because in 10 years, I can't even think what that is. Excellent question. So the younger you start, the less money you have to put away. You spoke earlier about having your money work for you. Well, that's the whole idea. So I use this analogy of every time you put money aside in whatever vehicle you put it in, you're buying sheet metal and nuts and bolts and you're building a machine. Well, if you put a little bit of money away, we can build a tiny machine. If you put a lot away, we can build a big machine. And the idea is that when you stop working, we turn on that machine, it kicks out money. So in an example, I don't know what somebody wants to live in their lifestyle. If they want to live on $200,000 annually, they're going to need $4 million of a machine to kick out that for their life, right? So that's a 5%. That gives us flexibility with the market going up and down with a different type of um diversification based on their tolerance for risk. Somebody's more aggressive, you know, they may need less money. If somebody's more conservative, they may need more money. Um, But effectively, just a good rule of thumb is when I have a million dollars, I can count on 50 grand of income for my life and not tapping into the principal. So, hey, your beneficiaries, your kids, whatever, get that money at the end. Right. So a million dollars gives gives you 50 a year. Roughly, yes. Roughly. Okay. Well, that's, that's, and you know, these are the things I think when you break it down, makes it easier for people to really understand because I understand, like, I, I like money. I love earning it. I have no idea what that looks like the other side, you know, because I, I also have a, you know, a lifestyle. I love to travel. I love to see, I want to see the world. As you said, like, you know, I'm a, I'm that person that thinks about today, not tomorrow because you know, I'm like, well, I'm going to be old then. And I, I want to go to all these places now, you know, but in my head this year, I think I've decided that I've got to become a grown up too, and probably look at all these things in a more grown up way. But, you know, I, I, I see how hard it is for people because it is, it is a big adjustment when there's been two incomes. And, you know, also I, I kind of feel like marriage is probably, or, you know, a lot of people end up divorced now a lot. And it's not easy to find anyone anymore. It really isn't. And a lot of people end up on their own. Even if you have found someone, a lot of people just do end up on their own. So, you know, to take the scary out of that, I think this is, you know, the number one thing. You know, I don't want to go from living the way I live to living in, you know, a nightmare. That's for sure. Um, So, you know, I think this is something that every woman needs to look at. Well, every man and woman, but men tend to sort of look at their money a lot more than women do, I think. I'll share two things with you. Just as a simple example, if you if you were a 22-year-old and you put away $200 a month, you'll end up for for till you're 66, you'll end up with a million dollars. Right? So, that's just a simple encouragement for a young person. The earlier you start, the faster you're going to get there. 
the same thing being somebody who says, oh, I need to accumulate a million dollars has to start and starts at age 37. They have to put away almost four times that money because their money is not working for them. Right. So so the idea about putting it aside is while you're working over here and living your life, it's still accumulating and doing things. Right. And then I just wanted to go back and comment on the on the be a grown up. The 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 being I think you can look at your financial resources and take a, a piece of it, right? So you know what you're you're bringing in on a monthly basis, you know what your general expenses are. And then there's this leftover discretionary number, right? Just take a sliver of that and put it toward your future. The rest of it, have fun. Life is short. You know, the name of my book is Squeeze the Juice. It's about getting the best out of life, out of a relationship, out of a trip, out of a podcast, out of any of it. You got to get the good stuff. Let's take a little break from the show and talk about one of my favorite things and most women's favorite things. And they mark all the special occasions in our lives and some of the happiest moments in our lives from getting engaged, getting married to 18th to push presents. I've had a diamond for every baby and they are truly an emotional gift, I think. And I mean, I think we all think we know diamonds, but you probably don't know as much as you think. Did you know that every stone is connected to 10 million people around the world? I had no clue about this. From Canada to Africa to Australia, the impact of the natural diamond industry is huge, providing healthcare, building schools and roads to remote communities worldwide. So this is a good one to drop in to your husband next time you're going for a gift, that you're also saving lives, helping people, and it's not just a fancy gift. Your natural diamond helps provide access and healthcare for over 4 million people. Your natural diamond helps provide access to education for children all around the world, including over half a million children in rural communities. Now, this is so important. This really does change lives. I've raised a lot of money in my time for children in Africa and built schools. And this is, you know, you change someone for life. Your natural diamond has contributed $16 billion of annual benefits to our world. That includes healthcare, jobs, education, biodiversity, and infrastructure. And your natural diamond helped fund more than 400 women-owned businesses across Africa. And if you're like me and you love your animals, which I do, thanks to your natural diamond, lives of millions of wild animals globally, including threatened species, are protected from extinction. You're helping protect biodiversity over an area of land the size of Paris, London, and New York City. Your natural diamond helps protect endangered rhinos and safeguard 200,000 hectares across Southern Africa. Each natural diamond promises a more sparkling future for generations to come. So discover many more natural diamond truths at naturaldiamonds.com forward slash thank you. And for generations to come, let's get back to the show. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. 
be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. So somebody starting now to make a million, to put a million dollars by the time you're 66 and we're, well, even if it was at 40, what would they have to put aside a month? And you're about 40? 47. You know, assuming you're, and this is just a generic calculation, but assuming you start at this math is the chart I have in front of me is 37. So you got to put away $8,400 a year and it has to have a return of about 8%. Okay. So it's in a growth mode. So the more you put away, the better, you know? So if you can put away, you know, and this is, this isn't monthly, this is annually. It's not $8,400, you know, for a lot of us, not a a big deal. That's doable. I think that's doable for for most people out there. So, you know, if you can get on and do it, do it. Because I do worry about where we're heading, you know, as, as a nation. It's the first time, as I said, I've lived without credit cards, not by choice, by moving to another country because I wasn't allowed to keep them because I'm not in Europe anymore. I don't have a European address and so all of those things. So anyway, it was not by choice. But actually, I don't think it's a bad thing now that I'm getting used to it. I'm not that upset about it anymore because I'm like, we're so used to just, you know, oh, well, I'll get this or I'll do this and I'll think about it later. But now, you know, maybe I don't, you don't have that backup anymore or, you know, especially if you're divorced, you don't have always somebody to bail you out or help you or you don't know when the next job's coming. And, and, and the, the years of bonuses and all of this crazy money seems to be, you know, other than the crypto world, I think, kind of gone. You know, people are, you know, not paying the crazy money anymore. And I think we all have to have a bit of a reality check, which, again, isn't a bad thing, because I do believe that we all kind of need one in a way. I mean, here I am sitting and talking to you about this, and I'm a housewife. So housewives are known for their ridiculous fashion and crazy lifestyles, which is, you know, what we do. But it's a show, people. Well, I mean, thank you so much. It really is fascinating because... I don't, the inheritance one I want to talk to you about, because that was it. You, you said quick money. What does that do to people, you were saying? Let me say first, inheritance, always, 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 never commingle your money. So if you were to receive an inheritance, that money needs to go into a separate checking account. And people will say, well, you know, I have my own checking account. My spouse isn't part of that. And I say, okay, well, does your your paycheck go into your checking account? Well, of course. Well, that paycheck is a marital asset. So now you've contaminated this resource that came from your mother, your grandmother, that you wanted to go to your children because you're in your second marriage. And now it's contaminated. So what I mean by that is if you were to get divorced, your soon-to-be ex is entitled to half of that. So The most important thing about inheritance is ask questions and make sure that you just open a new bank account before you start making investments. Lots of people will just say, oh, you have transfer it to this account, and they miss that opportunity. I've seen far too many situations where I have a client who, you know, ultimately, I mean, divorce, you know, unfortunately, what is it? 50% of people get divorced. So um, you you need to be thinking ahead. You do. And I think that that's really key. And that's why I've, I've always sung from that hymn sheet. Like I, I really did that with my new husband. And I said, you know, like I got some money from my mom and I had some money from my ex-husband. And I said to him very clearly, you're not getting a penny of that ever. 
you know, no matter what, that's going for my children. Why would my ex-husband want to give money to my new husband? Not happening, right? Absolutely. Um, he, he wants it to go to his kids. And that's fair enough. And I was extremely clear. And it wasn't even odd to him. He's like, well, I wouldn't want your ex-husband money any, anyway, obviously. So I think if you have these conversations, actually, they're kind of at the beginning, especially at the beginning when you're still in love, right? Then it's not, it's not such a painful conversation because it's just like, I mean, it's, it's fairly obvious at, at the time because you're not fighting. And I think people put off and put off. And I want to say putting off these conversations doesn't make them go away and doesn't make it okay. It actually has the, because when the love is gone, and the kindness has gone, which a lot of times it does, then you don't have a leg to stand on anymore. Whereas if you'd had this at the very beginning, which is completely obvious to me, why on earth would my ex-husband want to give his money he's giving his children and me to my new husband, regardless of how long my new husband's with me? None of the, you know, it doesn't matter. Right. So, you know, it seems obvious, but it's not obvious to people. Apparently, I think it's a hard topic, particularly for women to bring up as a as a general rule, because they're not that comfortable in talking about finance and talking about money. So I find that an innocuous way to do it is to talk about and try to understand your partner, even your parents, even your siblings. What is their money story? So what is their you ask them about their first relationship with money, their first memory of it? You know, was it of of lack, right? There wasn't enough money. So, you know, their their parents were very, very careful about what they purchased and what they couldn't purchase. Or was it that as soon as the money came in, they went out and, and spent it and went to a big dinner and, and and bought things and bought cars? Or was it, you know, more practical in nature? So when you understand a little bit about the story about your spouse, you can, or your soon-to-be spouse, you can kind of anticipate the either the challenges or the good things that are going to come from, do I have a stable financial partner? Or do I have somebody who, as soon as we get money, is going to spend it? Or is never going to let us spend it and never going to let us live because they're so nervous they're going to run out? I wish people would talk this. Actually, this would be a, a topic, of, a really good topic for universities and schools. I don't know. I mean, we all learn maths. We all learn ge geography. We all learn science. Latin. I've never had to use Latin. I've never really used science. I know some people do. I really don't know. You know, we've got, I've got a calculator for all my maths, but I wish I'd been taught this. I really think that this is something that everyone needs to understand from a very early age. And if they understood it, I think we'd, we'd all work a little bit differently. I think you're absolutely right. I, if we had the tools and the knowledge, I think we would treat, we would do things differently because we all also learn from the people around us, Instagram, crazy, social media, who with all these young influencers and like YouTubers saying they're making 150 million and they don't have to go out to work and they just sit behind their computer screens and make it look so easy. But it's not, it's not. And it's not, you know, there's maybe one half of a percent of the world that gets there. And I think, you know, if we had people that can just properly teach people exactly what you said, put $200 aside from the age of 22 and you'll have a million dollars when you're 66. I love that. Thank you, know, you Jennifer. I, yeah, I had an opportunity. I had my niece visiting a couple of weeks ago and she's 15 and 
I was asking her what she wanted to do when she grew up. And she said, a marine biologist or maybe a realtor. And so, you know, so of course I'm, ha- I'm having these hopefully productive conversations with her. And I'm trying to explain to her that, you know, in if you're a realtor, that may look, you know, fantastic. It may be look like a glamorous life, this, you know, successful, independent woman. But you are hustling 24-7 and you're always on. There's no downtime. Anytime you go to a restaurant, anytime you go anywhere, you are on and your business card is ready to go. And marine biology, you know, okay, so that's, you know, more more science and education. And you're being paid by somebody else and you're getting a salary. So you don't really necessarily have too much control in your destiny. So I explained what I do, maybe in hopes that she'll, you know, come into the business and I can transfer it to her many years from now. But, you know, what I do, I said, I love what I do. And I talk to people and every year. I start off the year with the with the same income or higher, right? So my work builds on itself and that's my business and that's my resource. So I was trying to maybe impart a little wisdom about making a thoughtful decision about your career. It's great if you're into, you know, doing hair or, or clothing or whatever it is, but what is the opportunity for growth from there, right? Can it be leveraged? Can it go exponentially? Or is it really, is there kind of a cap? I had a bit of this too, because obviously I'm a brand as well, like yourself. So, you know, people come to see you. And, you know, at the end of the day, though, there's still only one of you and there's one of me. So, you know, as much as you can expand, which you can, because you could hire and teach quite a few other people to be you, I suppose. But, you know, all of these things are considerations but you are in control of your own destiny. But as I did that and grew my brand before, then, you know, as we always say, more money, more, more problems, you know, like all the people that you have to hire and take care of and everything else. And I didn't want to get back into that. You're absolutely right. There's nothing like being in control of your own destiny, which is what this podcast is about, is giving yourself back the control. So thank you, Jennifer. This was amazing and really thought provoking, I think. And I'm definitely walking away with a lot more to think about even now. And I'm going to go downstairs and tell my daughter. (laughs) Wonderful. It was great to meet you. Please tell everyone where they can find you. So I have a website for my book. It's called squeezethejuicebook.com. And then you could also find me on Calendly. If somebody wanted to have a 15 minute squeeze the juice call, it's Calendly. And then it's Jennifer Modern Wealth. Thank you. Thank you for being on Divorce Not Dead. Absolutely. Pleasure. Thank you for listening to Divorce Not Dead. Tune in next Wednesday for a new episode. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear from you. Follow me on social media at at Caroline Stanbury for all the behind-the-scene action. note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.